Hey, it's Barbara Phillips with NPBO, and I wanted to give you a heads up on a webinar that we have coming up Thursday, May 16th, and it will be with a certified healthcare privacy person who has been in charge of a very large healthcare organization and their privacy compliance, HIPAA, and all of that sort of thing. And I think it's very important that all clinicians attend this one because HIPAA affects all of us. And so you can get more information about that at npbusiness.org forward slash privacy matters. And just another quick heads up after that, in June, we'll be talking with someone who has been in charge of the IT compliance to protect the organization. And so this one will be geared toward how do you protect yourself as well as your practice. And I'll be sharing more information about that later. So let's move on with the podcast. This is the NP Business Matters podcast, episode number 13, with Dr. Maria Walker on direct primary care. Hi, and welcome. This is Barbara C. Phillips, founder of Nurse Practitioner Business Owner and the Clinician Business Institute, where since 2007, we have been providing education, resources, and support for nurse practitioners. You can learn more by visiting npbusiness.com and cliniciansinstitute.com. So let's talk about my guest today, Dr. Maria Walker. She came to my attention around the whole issue of direct primary care. And I know we've talked about this before on this podcast, but I always think it's a good idea to have a different take. And so we're going to be talking to Dr. Maria Walker not only about how she started her own direct primary care practice and what led her to it, but also the advocacy work that she does for other nurse practitioners who want to get into that area as well. So I want you to listen in, take note, and be sure that you visit npbusiness.com forward slash podcasts, where you can access the show notes, links for resources, and contact information. So let's go ahead and get started. So Maria, I am so glad that you've joined us today. And as a business owner, a practice owner, can you um, talk us through how you went from being an employed nurse practitioner to having this idea of of opening your own practice and, and what that was like for you? Sure. So when I started my journey to entrepreneurship, Now, let me just preface that by saying that I've been a nurse for over 25 years. I've been a nurse practitioner for seven years. Um, Prior to becoming a nurse practitioner, entrepreneurship wasn't even a thought for me. So once I was employed as a nurse practitioner, the individuals that employed me were two women of color who were in private practice. They precepted me and then they hired me right away upon passing my exam. This allowed me the opportunity to see um, someone that looks like me in business 
that was successful and was being run so eloquently. One of the physicians, um, our personalities were very, very similar. Um, Now, mind you, a sisterhood developed from our relationship. And um, one of, they were considering letting the business go. They had been doing this for 10 years and they just had decided that they wanted to do something different. Well, one of the physicians and I decided that maybe we could do something together. I would spearhead it. So I tried to go the FQHC route. Um, I was doing the research. I was reading the books. I was putting this all this stuff together And I just kept being told, no, you can't do this. You can't do that. Um, And the only way that practice was going to form was if the physician was 51% owner. Yep. And I tried to get myself to get around it, to act like it didn't matter, but it did. Yeah, it mattered because I was the one that was putting in all the work to make it happen. Um, She was just supporting me and I just I I couldn't let it go. So I chased my tail for over a year. And then one day I read an article on Facebook about this nurse practitioner in Nebraska who was following this really weird type of model. And the um, the responses were not positive at all. But for some reason, I was intrigued by it and wanted to know, how is she doing this? So I reached out to her on Facebook, just randomly, and she responded. She called me and she gave me about three resources And Barbara, when I tell you that happened in about April of 2017, I immersed myself totally in it. I became obsessed with it. Mm -hmm. And October 2017, I was opening my first, my own direct primary care practice. So it was just like I found peace. So your first, so your practice, you actually went directly to a direct primary care practice and didn't even do your own practice with an insurance-based model. Is that, am I understanding that? That's correct. Okay, great, great. So you've been then in practice since 2017 and a direct pay practice went just head first right into there. Yes. And you are owning it all 100% yourself now. Yes. Okay. None of this 51% business. There's a a couple of places around the country where that is, is definitely so. Um, So how has it been for you? What are, what are some of the things you know, first of all, when you first opened this practice, what kind of hurdles did you have to overcome? Because you're in Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, uh, well, actually, I'll just let you explain. What is the current 
uh, practice act there as far as nurse practitioners go? So right now we are for practice authority, but I mean, with some, still some stipulations, but that didn't take place till I believe last year around right. this time. That's when it actually became, the application became available. Um, but prior to that, um, I didn't have a whole lot of hurdles because that same physician still supported me and remained my collaborative and she wouldn't charge me anything. So having that really helped me move forward on so many Mm -hmm. levels. Yeah. Yeah. And that's good. And I I think it's, it's important um, for those that are listening who may also be in Illinois, when you're saying full practice, it's full practice for those who have had already had so many hours, 3000 hours, um, 250 continuing education hours. Um, and you still need a consulting physician to be able to, um, prescribe your control substance. Okay. So it's not totally full practice. Mm -hmm. Okay. But it's a lot more independent than it used to be. Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah, because that that I I knew that it didn't fit the full practice definition that AANP puts out, but I do know that you guys have made strides to yeah. do that, and um, because we, uh, you know, I hear from a lot of of NPs. First of all, um, well, I can't have a practice because I'm not in a full practice state. Number one, and two, talking about full practice when there's still stipulations involved. And um, it's just, it's a a lot less restrictive than say where I am currently in Missouri. (laughs) You know, we're almost neighbors statewise anyway. And um, uh, there's a lot more restrictions here. I won't even go near it. (laughs) So, so you started your practice, you're now practicing autonomously in your DPC practice, what kinds of, of challenges? I know a, a lot of NPs when they start out, like for doing a, a cash practice or DPC, it takes a, seems to take a little bit longer to get that patient uh, number, those patient numbers up versus an insurance-based practice. That's correct. Um, it is definitely hard work. The, when I initially tried it, um, I was not working. I was working very minimal, like a PRN position, and it was rough. It it, it got bad fast, and the honeymoon period didn't last <laughs> thirty minutes past my opening. Um, so I had to readjust. I had to get past the feeling of failure. I had to come up with the notion that this was my story. I'm the author and I can change it and change the direction as many times as I need to, because this is my story. Oh, I love that. Yes. um, That's how I move forward. I, I stopped comparing myself to others and what other people were doing. um, But I continue to help people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that that became my mission 
to just keep individuals encouraged, regardless of how I was doing with it. It was it was to keep people encouraged. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that that became my that became my mission more so than the direct primary care practice of my own. So when you when you talk about keeping people encouraged, are you talking about your patients? Are you talking about others or advocacy? Talking about the other nurse practitioners. For example, okay. when I started the group um, nurse practitioners in direct primary care on Facebook, I started it as a resource hub because when I got started, there was nothing. And so I relied on a physician group to get me started. And they were very nice. They were very influential in getting me going. Um, But they couldn't answer my nursing questions. Right. And so that's why I started this resource hub. So in the time that the, the resource hub was building, I was going through a really rough time. I needed to find a job now. But people kept calling me, Barbara. They wanted answers. And it would be days that I would be crying. Like, Lord, I can't answer. I can't help them because I'm struggling myself. But I had to get past it because I'm like, these people need help. And they're looking to you. They're looking to me to help them. And that's just what I would do. I just had to become that type of ally that... um. I would help someone, even if it meant them becoming successful before I did. And, and that's how I move. And and that is so important. I was having a conversation with Irene Bean, and we were talking about how we need to build each other up. Mm-hmm. There is a... I'll just say it's a subset because I don't believe it's everybody, but there's a subset of people who, who don't hold each other up They're, you know, and, and it's not just in nursing. It's, it's in all professions. I hear this from my lawyer friends and, and other people um, where people are climbing over one another so that they can get to the front of the line or they can get to the top of the heap and being able to support our colleagues to support other women and men, mm-hmm. but, but we're still mostly women um, is so important. So thank you for doing that because I, we don't see enough of, of uh, just, you know, shoring each other up, yeah. giving each other a pat on the back, um, championing yeah. um, other people ahead of our own needs, which it sounds like that's what you were doing. That's what I've done. Yeah. And so you mentioned the advocacy and that advocacy goes beyond your group, does it not? It does. It does. It does. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? or? So people refer um, individuals to me all the time, um, even with the Illinois Society of Advanced Practice Nurses. Um, they send people to me um, that are interested in open their own, opening their own practices. Um, individuals that have decided to pursue entrepreneurship in the state of Illinois. People, they send people to me all the time. And, and I'm happy to talk to you um, because 
the thing is, school doesn't teach you that, A, you can become an entrepreneur, and it doesn't teach you how to defend yourself against individuals that think they know your uh, profession better than you do. And so once somebody tells you, oh, a nurse practitioner can't do that, then you just believe them? No, it's not true. So I, I help people understand our profession so that they can stand up against all these other people that are telling them what they can't do. <laughs> right. I know when I started my practice in, this is in Washington state and um, just trying to rent a space, I kept hearing, you can't do that. You're a nurse practitioner. You can't have your own practice. And yet in Washington state, it had been full practice for years. And there were lots of NPs having their own businesses. I had to print out the law that about the full practice because the person I eventually ended up renting from was a lawyer and he, well, he owned most of the property in town, but he wasn't, he kept saying, you can't do this. And so I took him the law and he said, Oh, okay. You know, but people do need to not, not only do they need to be educated, but our colleagues need to be educated because you're absolutely right. When we go to school and it starts in nursing 101, not even NP school, but nursing 101, we're educated to be employees. Yes. That's why for so many years, I never even thought about entrepreneurship. Yeah, it, it's it's not in front of us for for many of us, and certainly as a, a you said you were an RN for twenty some years, and that's you know I've been doing this for a lot longer, but <laughs> but you know even back then as an RN, I had wanted to. I had done a lot of agency work, those critical care, so I went to all the hospitals throughout the Seattle area, but I, I wanted to do it for myself. And it just, there wasn't the resources and you're told no all the time. Oh, you can't do that yourself. Well, there's really no reason you can't. It's just that up to then nobody had. Yeah. So when, when you're talking to people saying, yes, we can do this, are you getting a lot of pushback from that? Sometimes, but I'm a, I'm a tough cookie. Um, for example, I, I sent a prescription for a benzo to the pharmacy um, about a week ago. And I get a call. Well, my patient calls me and tells me that they were told that a nurse practitioner could not write the prescription. So I kindly called the Walgreens to speak with the pharmacist. And he was really standing on that. And I said, well, is the system asking you for a collaborative or is this you? And he says, well, it's not just me. I said, okay, so that means it's you. The system is not requesting this. This is you. And I said, apparently you don't know the law. And um, I gave him the information about full practice authority that I didn't need a collaborative. And I explained because he kept saying supervision. So I had to first clarify that. Right. And then got to the consulting part of it. Well, it, it turns out that this individual, he listened to me and he said, I'll call you back. I need to look this information up. Okay. 
And he did. He looked it up and he called me back. There was quite a bit of stuttering going on when he called me back, but nevertheless, he did. And I thanked him. I thanked Mm -hmm. him for just taking the time to put the patient first and to look it up and encourage him to tell his colleagues. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So that we don't have to waste our time. Right, right. And, you know, because it is fairly recent in Illinois, I believe. Yeah. It's it's not surprising that there are other people who are not yet aware of how the laws changed. And, you know, and frankly, if you think about it, we're all mostly only interested in our own laws, yes. you know, and if it doesn't impact me directly, then I mean, because we're, we're busy, you, you can't keep up with everything else. So that that was great. And that's um, that's actually an example of advocating for all of us, mm-hmm. you know, in educating people as we go along. Have you run into some of our colleagues who are, no, you can't do this? And how have you educated them? Um. Just by, and and the answer is yes, I have. Um, But I'm always one to show the proof. Um, Well, well, let's take a step back and and see why you think you can't do it. Um, And then let me show you what you can do. So I'm always one to just kind of show them the proof um, so that they can have a better understanding You know, because people tell you stuff all the time, and I don't want you to just believe me. I want you to see it for yourself, understand it for yourself, because moving forward, you're going to have to defend it. People Mm -hmm. are going to challenge you. So I I need them to know where to get the information from. And and I believe that that's really important. I mean, when we know how to get information, it's, you know, this whole idea of teaching a man or woman uh, to fish versus just giving them the the fish. And I think that that's really important for, for all of us. And with, um, with patients in Illinois and nurse practitioners, have you run into issues for that in terms of, of how receptive patients are in Illinois? Um, yes, not a lot, but I do, especially in um, urgent care. Uh, we get the patients that um, once they see a nurse practitioner, some of them just have questions because they just don't understand what nurse practitioners are. Um, and it really bothers me uh, when when they when they really don't care who they see, but they'd rather just lump us in as doctor or you do the same thing. So I really take the time to to straighten that out, to, to clarify it so that they truly understand that I am who I am, which is a nurse, and physicians are who they are. Um, but we, 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 I get the pushback every now and then, but I am one that is all about patient rights. Yeah. <laughs> you have a right. Um, and so I don't argue with you. <laughs> Right, right, and and they're and you're right. Patients do have a right to choose, and that's also an issue that I have when you have um, employed nurse practitioners who leave a practice and go start their own, and perhaps that practice gets ugly about patients that follow. 
mm-hmm. when patients have the right to be seen where they want. And that's why I also think that the majority of um, non-compete clauses are, it's, it's ridiculous mm-hmm. because patients can choose to go see whoever they, they, they want to see. No, you should not be stealing anybody's intellectual property obviously that part, but it's in terms of patients, they have a right to be seen where they, they want to be seen. You had said in the beginning of your practice that it was a little slow going when you first opened up. So can you give us some examples of what you have done in terms of marketing a DPC practice and educating people about the idea of what DPC actually is? Sure. When I first started, I was on um, the radio. Um, I was on a very popular radio station. Um, I done internet radio. I was doing a lot of social media, live, just talking about it. Um, I joined the business association and they really appreciated the thought of direct primary care and I was really pushing it but people love the idea of it but for some reason they just were having a hard time paying a membership fee for something they may not need every month and I didn't want to pursue it from or allow my rebuttal to be, if you had insurance, or for those that did have insurance, you pay that every month and you may or may not use it. And I just didn't want that. I just felt that rebuttal would be passive aggressive. And mm-hmm. so I, I, I didn't. I wanted people to accept direct primary care as an increase to access, um, a model that was very patient-centered, and I, I wanted them to give it a try. And if it wasn't for them, that's okay. But I just wanted to be available. I got to the point where I just refused to beg, and I would just give you the information, provide the education necessary, and I would just wait on you. And that's my approach. So that's why I keep a second job. <laughs> I totally agree with you not making it sound like insurance and not, not going down that particular route because you you do have to be careful that this is not insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't, in a direct primary care practice, you don't, you can get into trouble if you set yourself up as being similar to insurance, because there's a lot of laws around that. In terms of the nurse practitioner, I mean, we know, we know that there's advantages for patients with, with access, Mm -hmm. um, with, you know, I can do the same day appointments. You're going to do all of these other things. And, um, and certainly there's a lot of, it's a growing niche, if you will, in terms of what nurse practitioners are doing. So I think all of those things are important, but what is the advantage for the nurse practitioner to have a direct pay practice with a membership versus maybe 
direct care practice, if that's the correct term, that's just a cash-based a la carte type of practice versus an insurance-based practice? What are, what are the advantages that you see doing this type of a practice versus a more traditional? So if I could just go with the direct pay versus a cash pay. The direct primary care model is more than just collecting memberships. It is really patient-centered. It is focused on developing um, therapeutic relationships with your patient. Um, That's why visits can be 45 minutes to 60 minutes if that patient so desires. That's why the patients get direct access to you um, because it is a convenient patient-centered model. Um, Sometimes patients don't want to call and get an answering machine. Um, They may want to call and just talk to you and just determine if this is something they need to go to the emergency room for or if these are some symptoms that they can wait till in the morning to have a conversation with you about. It's things as simple as that that help with the um, direct access. Cash pay is just that. It's cash pay, cash pay. So mm-hmm. they'll see patients every 15 minutes. It doesn't matter to them. They want the cash. Um, so I think that's the difference between the DPC model versus cash pay. When you compare the DPC model to a traditional practice, I mean, seriously, it's it's the administrative task that go along with it. Um, That billing is a beast. Um, it, it, It helps keep the doors open. I have had to go into a hybrid type of model but I had to hire a biller right away because it was something I just didn't have the energy. I hated it so much. I just didn't want to deal with it. And even Mm. having a biller is still stressful. Definitely give you that. Yeah. (laughs) All, all of my practices have been um, insurance based. Um, I I could give you all kinds of billing nightmares. (laughs) That can potentially happen, mm-hmm. you know, and finding that good biller is, is like finding almost like finding, cause it's not quite, but it's almost like finding a needle in a haystack, you know, finding someone that you could really work with and who's, who's really good at what he or she does um, and who's on top of it. So yeah, it, it can definitely be, be some issues. For nurse practitioners that are interested in this model of practice, where would you recommend that they start when they start looking at this? They like to start on my group, but that's not the best place to start. The best place to start, in my opinion, is going to be dpcfrontier.com. This is a website that was put together by um, a physician who's also a lawyer. His name is Dr. Phil Eskew. And he has created this website that has 
a wealth of information on it that's free. It even has a mapper on it that lists all the DPC practices across the country that you can just click on in your so that you can know in your state. That's how I figured out that I was likely the first DPC practice in Chicago. Um, you just click on it. You get to see how their websites are set up, what services they offer. You can contact them. You know, most are, um, a lot of times they're friendly and they'll talk to you. Um, but it's, it's a wealth of information. All the laws um, related to DPC, it's, it's a great place to start. Excellent. Excellent. You know, one of the things that I always recommend people do when they're starting their practice is to start, um, first of all, doing a little soul searching. You know, is this really the road that they want to go down? Are they ready to go down that road? Um, and two, just understanding and starting that business plan. You know, how many patients do you need? What is it going to cost you? What can you expect to make in a, in a few years? Even if you're not going out and borrowing money to get, to get it started. Mm -hmm. um, and I would imagine you see a lot of NPs, as I do, that they haven't done that first step. And maybe they've put the cart way before the horse. And it can set people up for not having as easy as a time of of moving forward. Um, are you seeing a lot of that in your group? I do. What I And also what I see a lot of is people look at what other people are doing. And they see the glitz and the glamour of these big spaces. Well, <laughs> that's that's mm -hmm. called rent. That's a lot, and it can be a lot. Um, and so nobody wants to start small. And that's just where you have to start. You have to start in <laughs> one room, one to two room spaces until you can get that membership built. Because right. remember, these are not contracts. These are patients that can decide this month, I'm with you, and next month, I'm not. Right. And so you want to make sure that your environment, that you can afford that. Right. Right. And that's the whole, whole thing that I was saying about planning, because you're right. People look at what somebody else is doing and they go, I want that. And that's where I'll start. Uh, the, the thing is, is, you know, if, if you have a lot of disposable income, you can do that. But uh, quite frankly, what I happen to see is the majority of nurse practitioners starting practices, regardless of the kind of practices that they're starting, they're starting on a shoestring. They're going to be working part-time while they're building up this practice. Some of them even work full-time while they're building up their own practices. And so they have to be realistic and not just look at what they see. I, I like how you said that, the glitz and the glamour, because that's exactly what people see um, and try to emulate when they're not there yet. Mm -hmm. In terms of um, going back just for a moment to your advocacy, um, what kinds of things are you finding that are coming up for the state of Illinois in terms of nurse practitioners and, and practice, practice owners in nurse in uh, Illinois? Well, there's still this fight um, with the full practice authority and now 
um, working with ISAPN, we're working on the telehealth issue and getting that um, extended and, you know, officially approved for nurse practitioners to build this way as well. So that was the last thing we were working on. But there's still this this fight for uh, full practice authority and for some nurse practitioners that have the 3,000 hours. The problem is the physician that they were under won't sign it. They won't sign it. Their employers won't sign it. Won't sign that they've had the 3,000 hours? Yes. Yes. So oh. that's a problem. That's a huge problem that a lot of nurse practitioners are running into. Wow. That is big. That's, that is big. And that's something that the association is working on. And I am um, I would imagine your um, representatives from AANP in Illinois are also aware yes. of that as so, well. Yeah. So they are okay. reporting it to ISAPN, and then I guess they're putting in steps, steps in place to try to get this resolved. So Maria, there's, it sounds like there's a lot of things that are going on, both with nurse practitioners in Illinois, mm -hmm. with DC, DPC practices, direct pay practices um, in Illinois and around the country. What would be some of the final words or, or advice or um, just inspiration that you'd like to leave our listeners with today? I would like individuals to know that whenever you make the decision to move forward, just always keep in mind that you are the author of your story. And this is your journey. You're writing your own book. You know, it doesn't matter what people are saying. It doesn't matter. It's your story. And, and take those failures and build upon them. Just change your direction. Um, I'd also like to say to individuals that are afraid or are looking for or waiting for the best time to do something, you got to just jump and understand that success requires being uncomfortable. It's the only way. Excellent. Thank you so much. So where can people reach out to you if they want to find you? So they can find me on social media, on Facebook. I'm listed under Maria Jefferson Walker. Or if they're interested in direct primary care um, and learning more about the model, they can go to Facebook. The group is called Nurse Practitioners in Direct Primary Care, DPC. Excellent. And I will put all of those links with the show notes for this episode so that people can easily find you. And of course, we'll be sharing all of this on social media as well. So I want to thank you so very much for taking your time to um, spend time with us and talk about direct pay, direct primary care practices. Thank you. Thank you, Barbara. I'd like to thank Dr. Maria Walker for taking time out to talk to us today and share with us what she has learned about direct primary care. Be sure and head over to npbusiness.com. Take a look at the show notes where we've also listed all of the resources that she shared with us so that you too can learn more about 
direct primary care. And while you're there, feel free to leave a comment or suggestions, and uh, we'll be sure and pass any of that information on. So once again, thank you for taking the time out to listen to the NP Business Podcast. I'm Barbara C. Phillips, nurse practitioner and founder of Nurse Practitioner Business Owner. I look forward to seeing you in the next episode of the NP Business Matters Podcast. Bye-bye now.